Teachers are ordained and anointed by God to correct, reprove, and instruct in righteousness. Teachers are disciples held to a higher standard and confidence. Teachers are offenders of evil because they speak God's truth. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Welcome back, beautiful people, to another episode of The Teaching Prophet. I am she, she is me, Tangela L. Clayton, the master teacher delivering lessons for the Lord. We will be continuing our learning journey through the book of Acts by stopping off in chapter number nine. Number nine. This is the one that everybody loves. The Damascus Road Experience. All right. Just to remind you, the book of Acts focuses on a specific audience, a key personality trait and a few words and or phrases. Chapters one through seven, if you have not listened and also eight, but chapter one through seven, um, go back and listen. Go back and listen to one through seven and eight. However, one through seven addresses the leaders and leadership. Chapters eight through twelve addresses teaching and the administration of what is being taught. And then chapters 13 through 28 outline of different disciples that were birthed from the earlier chapters. So what audience we have today? I, I when I did when I originally did these lessons, it was like a year ago. I really almost a year ago. I think it was almost a year ago. But when I originally did these lessons, I was just in the moment writing down whatever the Holy Spirit was telling me to write down. Didn't know what it was going to, what this was going to be. Didn't know if it was going to be in the book. Didn't know anything about that. Yes, by the way, I do write books. You can go on Amazon.com, put in Tangela L. Clayton. Right now I have three books out. Shameless plug. But guess what? This is my show. So I can commercialize my things. Ha ha ha. Yeah, go do that. Amazon.com. Check it out. Anyway. Um, so when I wrote down the audience, I didn't write down what was being taught because I, as I said, chapters eight through 12 is teaching in the administration of what is being taught. Like what is being taught in this particular chapter, which is chapter nine, the Damascus road experience, right? Well, that's what everybody boils it down to. Um, so I wrote down the audience and the audience was non-believers. So as I'm going back over the lesson and I'm just like, okay, God, uh, there's not something that's being taught here. And I heard the word faith and I was like, uh, faith who, okay. So yeah, I'm not seeing that. And so I was like, okay, let me just continue going over my notes because I have my, I have all on a legal pad. I said, let me just flip through my notes here and go over my notes. And I'm like, okay, Lord, mm, faith, I don't see how you can work that in there. But uh, I'm going to let you be God because that's what you do best. You are God. And so I looked up non-believers and it said people who do not believe in something, especially those who have no religious faith. I fell back in my little praying chair because I have a chair where I sit in and I just pray and I just talk to God. I fell back in the chair. I was like, okay, so you you obviously want to talk 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 about faith on today. All right, cool. We'll do that. So our audience is non-believers, more specifically, as the definition says, those who have no religious faith. Our attribute today is going to be understanding. The ability to comprehend, 
awareness of other people's feelings, being tolerant and forgiving. I didn't know understanding had all of that in there after looking it up. Um, we have to overcome our fear and dispel doubt while being understanding to where people are coming from and why they don't have those relig- that religious faith. And we'll get more into that. And then our key words is to explain, empathize, and enrich. Explain, empathize, enrich. So our audience is non-believers, specifically those who have no religious faith. Our attribute is understanding. And our key words are empathize, explain, enrich. All right. So our chapter review goes like this. So in chapter nine, Saul is threatening and slaughtering the disciples with the support of the high priest who gave him letters to Damascus and the synagogues to take um, prisoners who were of the faith, who believed in Jesus. And so as we know it, as he's on his way to Damascus, a light shone from heaven, knocking him off his horse and a voice sounded, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul looks around and he's like, uh, who are you, my Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you persecute. It is hard to kick against the pricks. Saul was scared, plain and simple. He wanted to know what should he do? So Jesus instructed him to rise and go into the city and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, the men that were with Saul, they were even more scared because they heard a voice, but saw no one, saw nobody. So they took Saul by the hand and led him out of the town because when Saul got up and opened his eyes, he was blind. He was blind, couldn't see a thing. All right. So once in town, they situated him wherever they they placed him in. The Bible doesn't say. And he sat there for three days and didn't eat or drink. All right. So while he's on his fasting and praying kick, God visited a disciple named Ananias. He tells Ananias, arise and go into the street, which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one named Saul of Tarsus. For he is praying and he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting on his hands on him that he might receive his sight. This is what the Lord commanded Ananias to do. Ananias in return was like, um, Lord, I've heard of many. I heard of this man by many. How much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he come with authority. From the chief priest now to bind all that call on your name. You you sure you want me to go to that guy? That guy. And Jesus responded, go your way for he is a chosen vessel for me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's that. That's what Jesus said to Ananias, who was like, uh, I, don't, I don't think you're really trying to send me to that guy. He was like, yeah, I'm sending you to that guy. So Ananias went. He prayed for Saul that he might receive his sight and that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly. As if scales fell off Saul's eyes, he was able to see again. So they took him and they baptized him and. 
Once they fed him and he was strengthened, he stayed with the disciples in Damascus, preaching and teaching that Jesus was the son of God. Now, the people were shocked. They was like, um, this can't be the same guy. Yeah, that's the same guy. No, this can't be the same guy. Yeah, that's the same guy. The same guy who had letters to bound them. Then, too, it tells me one of my study Bible says the people that he was preaching and teaching to were the same people that was there when they killed Stephen. All of them was consenting and all of them agreed that Stephen needed to be stoned to death um, for his blasphemy of the word, they said. So these was a say this was Saul's first audience. His first audience were the very same people that he stood with <clears throat> that stoned Stephen. So they was like, no, nah, uh, we're going to have to kill him. So they plotted. They plotted to kill him. They waited day and night at the gates for him. However, Saul found out and the disciples that was with him found out. So they <clears throat> they hatched a plan to lure Saul down a wall. Um, in a basket and they did this and he escaped to um, Jerusalem where he wanted to join together with the other the original some of the original disciples some of the other disciples but they were afraid they were like um no this this the same guy this is the same guy that was that has letters mind you he still has the letters this is the same guy that has letters to bound us um, and take us to the high priest. No, we don't believe he's converted. And as I was studying in one of the study Bibles, it was saying that they would not let him in. They would not let Saul in. But then Barnabas, Barnabas stood up. He was like, no, no, no. Come in, Saul. Let me, let me help you out. So he took Saul in to the disciples and he stood up for Saul. He was like, listen, this man taught with passion and conviction about Jesus. After he had seen him on the road to Damascus and uh, God spoke to him concerning his purpose. And then they went into details. They went into details how the people sought to kill him because he stood there and he taught Jesus was the Christ like nobody's business. And them folks wanted to kill him. And we had to let him down the wall to bring him to Caesarea and then to Tarsus. Okay. So he explained to the disciples, they, mm, they was on that. Uh, we want to wait and see. We was on that wait and see list. So then the Bible tells us that with this proclamation, the church rested throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria. They were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord in comfort of the Holy Spirit. And many were multiplied into the fold. The church received many people. Now it came to pass that Peter. He went throughout all the quarters. He was going down to be with the saints at Lydda. There was a certain man named, and I want to say Ananias so bad, but it's Ananias who had been bedridden for eight years because of palsy. This man had palsy. So Peter commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ to make his bed and walk. The man made his bed and walked immediately. Those who were there in Lydda and Sharon saw this and turned to the Lord. After this, Peter went to Joppa. A woman named Tabitha lived there who was also known as Darkest. 
She was full of good works and full of good deeds. She did good things for the people there. And they called her a disciple. <clears throat> she had died. She had got sick and she died. Then the people had washed her body, cleaned her up real good and put her in the upper room, the upper chamber. But then they sent for Peter to come down. They sent for him to come down and the men of the town pleaded with Peter to come. And Peter got up and came. And when he went up into the upper chamber, he was met by the wailing women. And they were telling him all about uh, Tabitha. They was telling him all the things that she had done, showing her, you know, showing her things, showing the, the cloths and things that she made for people. Lamenting. They was just lamenting and just, you know, imploring Peter to, you know, they just had faith that Peter could do something for for her. So Peter listened, but then he put them all out. He put them all out of the chamber. He went by her bedside and he kneeled down and he prayed. And then he declared, Tabitha, arise. And she did. She opened her eyes and she saw Peter. He took her by the hand and helped her stand up. And, and then he went out and to present her to the saints and the widows that was outside the chamber. And they rejoiced and it was known throughout all Joppa, Joppa, however you want to say it. And many believed in the Lord. And then so Peter stayed there with a man named Simon, who was a tanner. And that's that's that, that's what happened in chapter nine. So, again, I said and I said, all right. As you heard me say before, I did these lessons almost a year ago and they were sitting on the shelf. And I didn't know what God wanted me to do with these. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the notes and I'm putting these things together. And he said, faith, faith is being taught here through the audience of non believers, faith, faith, faith. One of the things that I went back to was to kick against the prick. And I said, okay, God, what is that? <clears throat> so it's an idiom. That is a literary term in English. We call it an idiom. An idiom is a phrase or expression that typically presents a figurative, non-literal meaning. In this particular instance, this idiom means it is hard to argue or fight against a person of authority. It is hard to argue and fight against a person of authority. I said, okay, how does that fall into place with this faith thing, Lord? You're going to have to show me because uh, I'm at a loss right now. So I continued looking at the notes and continued, you know, typing them out and seeing what God was saying. Um, because he that has an ear, we want to hear. Well, it's the spirit saying. All right. So non-believers, go back to the non-believers. Our audience is, it is, it's people who do not have a religious Faith. And we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Come on through Hebrews. All right. Okay, Lord. Faith kicking against the prick. What is this? What is this, Lord? So Saul was a high ranking Jewish religious leader who did not believe in Jesus. God gave me three different things on Saul. Of reason why he didn't believe. Maybe. Maybe why he did not believe. Saul was educated in the law. And because of his education in the law. It may be that 
his exact one dimensional that one dimensional teaching could not have uh could have could have locked him into a tunnel vision of what the law pointed to in its intent these type of non-believers are my science and scientific mathematical one plus one equals two people these are the people that because they they scientifically and mathematically cannot equate and put Jesus in one of their equations and it equals something. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. These are my doctors. These are my, again, scientists. These are the people that deal in empirical facts. Like we studied this. This happens this way. This, these are the facts. And you have some people like that. You have some people, they, they're saved. Don't get me wrong now. They're saved. They, you have some people that are not saved, but yet they're still unbelievers because they have not factual been able to prove that Jesus is the son of God. And so these people will not receive your words, they will not receive your testimony. They not, they don't care how understanding and how you explain to them and how you empathize with them. They don't care because they don't have the proof tangible. Put it in my hands. Let me feel it. Let me touch it. Let me put it in this mathematical scientific equation and let it come out to equals this. This is one way Saul could have not believed in Jesus because Saul was a religious leader. It says it. It says it in all your study Bibles. It tells you Saul was a religious leader. He knew the law. He knew the re religious law of the land. He knew it. So it could be that because he knew one plus one is two all day long in any country. This this probably not this this Jesus probably didn't. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't equate. It does not equate. Then the Lord showed me that maybe Saul bought into the belief that Jesus was just a man whose followers stole his body while the guards were sleeping to push the narrative that Jesus was risen by God, proving he was the son of God, as Jesus stated. My conspiracy theorists. Lately, conspiracy theorists have been flipped. It's, it's been flipped. I'll, I'll, let me let me explain the biblical story of this. So if you go back um, and read where Jesus was crucified and then he was buried and they set those Roman guards at his tomb. And then um, the story goes on. I believe Mary was the first one to go see um, to go dress his body, to go lament over him. And the angel had already rolled the stone away um, and, and said that, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Right. And she said, well, you know, what do you mean? So he's not here. He's risen. And so when it was found, when, it, when she went back and spread the news and everybody began to, you know, know that Jesus was not in the tomb that was sealed and had Roman guards on it. The guards lives was at stake because that was death to not be on their post and to uh, have something happen while they were on their post to the body of Jesus. And so the government. <clears throat> 
<coughs> hint, hint, the government and the chief priest and everybody that was in that room agreed to put out a story that while the guards were yet sleeping, Jesus's followers came, rolled the stone away and stole his body and stole his body. That was the conspiracy theory. That was the theory that was put out. And anybody who believed anything other than that were to be killed, were to, you know, all of his followers, they were to be bound, <laughs> Saul's letters, um, and killed and not pushed. This Jesus was the Christ. You remember in the earlier chapters of Acts, his disciples was warned not to preach the resurrection of Christ. So by Paul, I mean, sorry, he's not Paul yet. By Saul being of that religious sect that it, they believed in the letter of the law, it he probably, if he was there at Stephen's death and he was consenting unto Stephen's death, the words coming directly from the Bible, it's more than likely he believed that he believed this story. He believed this story that the government had put out. So there are those people that believe the story that is put before them. And anybody who believe other than that are conspiracy theorists. Like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. And it's funny that the people who put out the conspiracy will tag others as conspiracy theorists. Because you don't believe what they believe and what the official report says. It goes, it's almost like, um... I, I love the first 48. I love all these little, the little crime shows. I don't ask me why. But you see these mothers on there and they get the they get the report and they was like, that's not it. Or you get these family members. It mostly be mothers. You get these women in the family. They're saying, we don't believe that so-and-so died like that. We don't believe the official report. And then you have all these police officers and everybody was like, that is the official report. I don't know why they don't believe they died of, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, no, nah, we don't believe that because here's what we know and here's what we found. And so sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes, you know, months. Sometimes it, it just takes a couple of days. And then they'll figure out that that mother and that family or that family member were correct. But before they get to the truth. They get hammered. They get pushed aside. They get treated so badly by officials and people who believe the official report that these people are shunned. They become pariahs of society. They become zealous. Oh, they are. They they they're just. I don't know why they believe that. They are. They so they're so zealous in their belief. And it's not that they're zealous in their belief. They don't believe the official report. That's all. That's all that is because the officials, for some reason or another, maybe it was a cover up. Maybe, you know, who knows? But for some reason or another, they don't believe that official report. And it does come out. And when the truth comes out and you see some of these years later and they'll go back to the DEA or they'll go back to the police officer who investigated. These people will remain staunch in their belief that their official report is what officially happened. They won't accept that. They won't accept the, the new evidence and the things that come through and says that this is really what happened. So run that back to Saul. I was about to call him Paul again. He's not Paul just yet. But running this back to Saul, he doesn't believe 
that Jesus, he doesn't believe Jesus is the, the risen Christ. He believes in this narrative that his followers stole his body so that they can push their theory of Jesus being the risen Christ and the son of God. So with these people, you, you, you don't want to show them. You want to be understanding of their belief. Like, why do you believe the official report when you have some reasonable doubt to say this report or this narrative or this official statement could not could have holes in it, it could have fallacies in it. You have to when you're talking, when you're when you talking about that faith thing with these conspiracy theories and these people that believe what they are told, you have to really empathize with them and be like, okay, what is it that tethers you to this information? It could be their position in society. It could be that their position um with a company or somebody, or it could be their family members. They're afraid to go against their family members and their family members are like, listen, Hey, everybody in this family believe what, whatever grandpa, grandma believe, everybody believe. And that's how hate and, and love and all these other things are passed down through families because you have to go upstream while everybody is going upstream. If this family is going upstream, no one in this family shall go downstream. So, that's another thing that God showed me. The third thing that God showed me, because I, I asked God to show me things in threes, because I like to give honor to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the last thing, the third thing that God showed me is maybe it's just that he just could not receive this new doctrine because it was so outlandish um, from the proving customs that he was used to. That this this Jesus, this is not part of my custom. This is not part of my tradition. So yes, these are my traditional people, my people whose beliefs and traditions are so, they rooted so deep that they won't believe anything or anybody until something drastic happens. My religious people who, they, not religious, traditional people. These traditional people will not, they will not abandon their tradition. What, what, what was, will, will be. There is no cutting corners. There is no getting around it. These traditional people, oh my goodness, they are so rooted in what they know. It, it just, it reminds me of pastors who, um, oldies, the elder pastors who, um, I know one that, you know, he said he learned how to read from preaching the Bible. He was called and and what he was taught from other preachers. That's what he did. And anything outside of what he was taught was a sin. Now, mind you, biblically, it wasn't a sin. But any, but because this is what he was taught, because he only learned how to read from the Bible and was taught from other men that he kept passing down traditional wrongs things that were traditionally not biblical and anytime somebody would come and show him hey this is not biblical he would still say well when I was taught this is what happened and this is what you did and so uh that tarrying bench and and calling on Jesus till you slobbed and about threw up and all of that oh baby they believed in that 
And you could not move them from that. You didn't. You had to sit there. And and I know. <laughs> and I, be, I know people. We were on that bench and we would be slobbing. And, and I would be, we would be laughing up under our breath. And we know kids that were just playing. Playing like they just mimic what they saw. And they were like, there you go. He got it. I be like, he ain't got nothing, baby. He is, he is mimicking you guys. But they believed in that. They, they, that was their tradition. That if you didn't call on Jesus all night long, slobbering and, and hooking up and, and coming that mucus up out your mouth and, and just sitting there and, and being, <laughs> being pushed by the mothers in your back and, you know, they slapping your back and all that. And you didn't respond to that, then you didn't get the Holy Ghost. When the Bible simply says, all you had to do was believe in your heart and receive. Believe, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and receive Jesus, then you will be saved. And then you go get baptized. It didn't say you had to sit there and slobber all day long. It did not say that. But hey, that's what they believed. And so now Jesus is saying, you don't got to, you, you know, you don't have to do all of that. No, our customs dictate this is what you have to do. Our customs dictate this is what has to be done. And so, again, you have to be understanding with those people. You have to be you have to empathize with them. You have to explain to them and you have to take it slow. You have to take it slow because, remember, you are teaching faith and the faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And all three of these examples, these people needed to see. They need to see the scientific people need to see. The conspiracy theories they need to see because their official report is physical and they can they can attach it back to somebody of an authority who signed this. And then the people of tradition, again, they are honoring what they've been taught by people that went before them who they believe are holy men and women of God. And so therefore they don't. mm -mm. And so when they don't see you receive the Holy Spirit and. And when they don't see you confess Jesus, they don't believe in your conversion. They don't believe. And so this is all about seeing. And so if these people saw it, okay, then they can believe it. So then you go on into the rest of the text. Yes, everybody likes to concentrate on Saul. Everybody. But Ananias had an unbelieving moment when God told him to go to Saul. Ananias was like, who? The, the, the saw that was trying to is trying to bound everybody. Oh, no, 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 no. So the Lord had to say, no, this is what I'm telling you to do because he is a chosen vessel of mine. And I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him what he's going to do in my name and how he's going to um, have to suffer for my name's sake for both the Gentiles and the Jews. All right. So then that lets me know that you can be a believer with non-believer traits at times. Sometimes it's subtle like Ananias, but sometimes it's blaringly blatant. You see these people, they believe, I'm telling you, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in the devil. They believe the devil is a person. Oh, my sister, just the devil. No, 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 no. Your sister is in the image of God who is being used by the spirit of the devil. But they don't they don't. These people do not believe in an unholy spirit, but they'll believe in a Holy Spirit. It's crazy. I've seen it. It is pure 
craziness because they believe in what they can put their hands on. The people that Saul preached to were non-believers of his conversion. They couldn't receive it. Why? Because they were there with him. The first set of people. Remember, I told you the first set of people that he was preaching to were the same people that stood with him at the, the stoning death of Stephen. It was the very same people. No, they did not believe in his conversion because he had the same zeal that he had when he was bounding people up, taking them to Jerusalem. He had that very same zeal. Then you keep going on the, the apostles at Jerusalem. When Saul was let out through the wall and he went to Jerusalem, they did not believe in his conversion. They needed to see. I went to a couple of my study Bibles and it said the same thing. Them people was a, uh, they was a show me from, from the show me state. Uh, uh, show me he was converted. We got to see this because one of the study Bibles said that maybe they thought that he was trying to infiltrate the disciples so he can take them down from within. There was that healthy dose of fear there. There was no faith because when there is fear, fear replaces faith. They're the opposite. So these people feared that Saul was trying to infiltrate them and take them down from the inside. And that was a healthy fear to have. That was because of his zeal, because he was so he was so passionate about uh, rounding up Christians and throwing them in jail. He was just so passionate about it. But he had that same passion in teaching for Jesus. Then we go on to Peter. You got to see everywhere Peter went. These people begin to believe on God. When he performed that miracle at Joppa, he performed the miracle at, uh, uh, what's the other one he went to? The first place he went to. Lord Jesus, it's in my notes right here. When he, uh, went to Lida, he went to Lida. These folks, they, they believe, but then they had some unbelief. They had some unbelief. And so Peter rose the dead Peter did what he did and then people believe and then they all they all were added to the Lord they were added to the Christian movement that was going on in that day so there is more in this story than just you know Saul's conversion it is the fact that people were walking in unbelief in so many different areas of their lives believers and non-believers alike was still they still needed to be taught to have faith. And then once they saw Saul's conversion, once they saw all of these things, then you'll see his name get changed to Paul. Once they see all of these things that's happened when Peter went, then these people, they, they richly believe in the Lord and they were converted. And then they, they begin to walk in the faith of believing that Jesus is the son of God. So again, when we're teaching faith, when you are dealing with non-believers, whether there be people, again, all of these examples are people who needed to see something. You have to be patient and understanding of these people. It is not because they don't want to. It is because they've been conditioned in this way to believe something that is not true or to believe something um, that is outside of what they've been taught or to believe something that is outside of an equation that they can throw in and mathematically or scientifically figure these things out. God is not of science yet. He is science. Yet he is science, but he's not of science. God operates 
in a totally different sphere from our minds. And some people just cannot get that. And they have to be knocked off their horse. They have to have a Damascus road experience in order to believe, in order to have the faith that many of us, we will rightly, we just believe for some, whatever reason, it we just believe that Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus will be the one to come. So you got to be understanding when teaching when administering faith or teaching faith to others, you have to be understanding. Now, I'm not saying you have to sit there and listen and be persuaded by them, but you have to listen enough so that you can find the fallacies in their thought process and not exploit it, not exploit that fallacy, but explain and then enrich in the place where Jesus where, where there is the Bible says, you know, when you when a demon is cleared out of somebody, you just can't clean up the place. You have to clean it up and you have to fill that place with some. You have to enrich that place, replace some. Because if that demon comes back and see that that place is still empty, bring seven more. Here comes seven more. So you you can't just, you know wash away with the you know you understand you explain but now you have to enrich you can't just wash away and clean up their mind and be like okay you're good no now you have to enrich them with the word of God you have to enrich them with Jesus you have to fill that space again where they were in where they had believed one thing once you remove that you have to replace it you have to enrich You have to enrich the word of God in that place. So again, the what is being administered here in this chapter, chapter nine of the book of Acts, they are teaching God and Jesus is teaching faith, teaching these people about faith because it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for teaching of for the teaching of faith. We thank you, oh God, for just a refreshing. For some of us, it's a refreshing in the course of faith. For some of us, it's brand new. And for those that is brand new, we welcome you to invite Jesus into your life. Because again, it'll take faith in these last days. It's going to take some immeasurable faith. It says in the Bible that faith small as a mustard seed can move mountains, can move mountains. And we are we are in these days where it's getting more wickeder and wickeder in the world. And so we need that faith, the faith to hear you, O Lord, the faith to see you, O God. Because right now we're being thrown all kinds of things, oh Lord, that will make the, the, the staunchest believer not believe you. So God, we thank you, oh God, for this lesson of faith, oh God, that is being administered here in chapter 9 through Saul, through Peter, through Ananias, God, the administration of faith. Believing God, even when there's evidence that you should not. Thank you, Lord. For giving us this right now, this day. And I pray those that are not strong in the faith. God, I pray that they will get get silent. 
steal themselves so they can hear you in the midst of the noise. Yes, the noise is louder than you, oh God, but you are still speaking. There is still you. There's still faith to be had. There's still faith to be grown. And God, I pray that those that, that lack the faith, those non-believers that lack the faith, I pray in the name of Jesus that the perfect laborer come through, come by their path, come their way, and they begin to empathize, explain and enrich through understanding, through understanding, oh God. And so that they can plant a seed. Another one may come by and they're going to water that seed. But God, you, you, O oh Lord, get the increase. We thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by another episode of The Teaching Prophet. Don't forget to like, share, and or comment on whichever platform you are listening. We pray you tune in next time. God bless.